Hey, everybody. My name is Andrew Neighbor. I am the Director of Student Ministry here at Fellowship Asheville, and I am genuinely excited uh, to be with you guys this morning and, and have the privilege and honor of diving into God's Word. But before we do that, I have a question for you guys. You ever watch a movie or a TV show and you see like a character or somebody make decisions and you're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? That makes no sense. And it's just so the opposite of what you would do. Anybody, is that that's something? Um, how about the opposite, right? How about if it's someone who is, is a lot like you, who you see in a movie in a TV show, and you're like, yes, that's me. If I were in that universe, I would be making those exact same decisions. Uh, for me, it was always, um, I was always like Watson in Sherlock Holmes stories. Like, I always felt like I identified with that guy. Um, but I never really felt like a strong identity with like a main character until I watched the Lego movie. And then it took like the first like five minutes and then I was like, okay, I'm Emmett. That is, that is very clear, and I'm like, I am now way more invested in this movie than I thought I was going to be. And so that was uh, super fun. And I think it's something we do. We have a tendency to do that with movies, right? But do we ever do that with the Bible when we're looking at um, stories in the Bible and different characters and different things? Because today I want to talk about Jesus and Peter. And for me, Peter is, is someone I feel like I relate to a lot. He's very impulsive. He, he jumps with both feet, and then he thinks about his actions afterwards. He's, he's such, uh, he's a passionate, emotional guy. And I, I think in the story that we're going to see today, you, you'll, you'll see that, and that'll kind of come across. Before we do, uh, there's, there's three things that I sort of want to talk about that sort of set a, a framework for what this is and, and and what it looks like. And it, it, it's kind of almost like this is how I see the gospel. It, it, it's, it's a look at who God is, who we are, and what he has done for us. And so in this story, we're going to see who Jesus is, uh, who, Pe who Peter is, and then what Jesus does for Peter. And I think like those three things, you'll see them both uh, with Peter and, and with us. And I think it, it relates because I do think what Jesus says to Peter here absolutely applies to us as followers of Jesus. So I want to start our story, start where I sort of pick this up uh, at the Last Supper. And a couple things happen at the Last Supper. The first where you really see uh, Peter and Jesus and this interaction is, is right before dinner where um, Peter, where Jesus is washing Peter's feet and, and and Peter's like, hey, teacher, rabbi, you, you, don't, you don't have to wash my feet. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not for you to do. And then Jesus is like, if I don't wash your feet, you won't be clean. And then you see Peter immediately jump to, well, if you don't wash my feet, then, or, or wash all of me. Like, up and, I'll give me a whole bath, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, no, Peter, that's, that's not what I meant. I only need to wash your feet. And he's like, oh, okay. And, and so you see him sort of run ahead of Jesus. And, and so I just think that's such a, a good picture of, of his character. And we'll see that again uh, throughout this and in a little bit later. Because that happens, then they have the Last Supper, and then, you know, Jesus, Jesus um, shows uh, that Judas is going to betray him. And then he goes to Judas, hey, what you're going to do, go do quickly. And then they sort of um, break. And then Jesus has to go to the garden. And in that moment... There's, there's another moment with Jesus and Peter in John 13, 36, 
where um, John writes this. Simon Peter said to him, Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so again, you see this in Peter where he's like, Jesus, what do you mean I can't follow you? I'd die for you. And then Jesus is like, are, are you sure about that? And, and here's the thing. In this moment, I genuinely believe Peter is, is 100%. He's like, yes. When he says, I will die for Jesus, he, he means it. And eventually, he will. But we'll get, we, we actually probably won't get to that today, but we will get to it. Anyway, um, my point is we see this in him, and then we see Jesus be like, you sure about that? Hang on a minute. And so, again, Peter's very grand gesture He's very big. We see his emotions. And then not a couple hours later, uh, they're in the garden. Jesus gets arrested. The guards come and take away Jesus. And we see in the Greek that Peter is like, Peter is swinging top down with a sword at a guard's head. And Peter is a fisherman, not a soldier, so he misses and he gets his ear. But, like, we see this, that in, in that moment, Peter is 100% ready to, like, kill a dude for Jesus. Like, P- Peter is all in. He is, he is ready to go. And, and Jesus is like, no, Peter, that's not what this is. And then my favorite moment in, in that story, when the guards go and take Jesus away, is Jesus takes a minute and heals that dude's ear. Like, he, I don't know if he, like, picks it up off the ground and puts it back on him or what, but it says, like, he, he actually heals his ear. And, and I think that's just, even in the midst of, of, of this moment, Jesus is still, like, taking care of people. And you see that, and I think that's pretty cool. So, after this, after uh, the guards take him away, he goes to, to be on trial and, and so he's, like, over here in one side, and then you have this scene with uh, Peter and John as they enter into the court where they sort of, like, can see what's going on, but they're not directly there. And you see John sort of pick up this story here in John 15, 15, where it says this. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That other disciple was John, by the way. Uh, Since that disciple was known to the high priest... He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servant and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. So in this moment, right, Peter has seen his, his savior, his rabbi, his, his, the guy that he has dedicated his life to following, just sort of, in his mind, give up and be arrested. And he's like, what, what is this? So I, I think you can see he's feeling sort of alone and abandoned, and he he denies knowing Jesus because he's with a crowd of people who are very anti-Jesus. 
And so he's, I think he's, he's a little bit afraid here. And so also one more thing to note is they're standing over a charcoal fire, and charcoal fires are much better for, for cooking than they are for, for radiating heat. And so it's not like a campfire, so everyone is like huddled super close around this little charcoal fire. Um, I'm going to pick up the story in, with Matthew's account here in Matthew 26, verse 71. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up to Peter and said, Certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the emotion here. It's so powerful because you see that like Peter is at his absolute lowest. And it's, it's cool how, how John actually describes this scene because in John's gospel, there's, there's the trial of Jesus going on like over there. And then you have Peter denying Jesus over, over here. And, and he actually like sort of cinematically flips back and forth between the scenes. So you really get the, the contrast of what's going on here. And, and so Peter is just caught up in this moment. He's afraid. He's scared. He's all these things. And he's like, I swear, I don't know him. And then I love how Matthew says, immediately the rooster crowed. And, and then there was just this moment of like, oh, I just did the thing Jesus said I was going to do that I didn't believe. Like, oh, I can't believe that. And you see, he goes out and he just, he weeps bitterly. And then, like, Jesus gets crucified. And, and then you, you see this. And, and for three days, he's, he's in the grave, and it seems like all hope is completely lost. Like, the guy they were supposed to follow is dead. Like, what happens now? And, but, but the good news, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus rose from the dead, just like he said he would, on the third day. And y'all, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if, if Jesus didn't do that, like, we're all sort of very dumb. That's not exactly the words he says. He says we're going to be pitied above all men. But it is like this picture of like if the resurrection didn't happen, we're wasting our lives. And so luckily for us, the resurrection did happen. It is real. And I know I'm talking about like the resurrection on the first day of Advent. But y'all, it fits. It's so important. And so after Jesus rises from the dead, he spends about 40 days just sort of popping in on, on different people, different groups, and he appears to groups large and small. And towards the end of that time, the seven of the disciples have gone back and are fishing. And so you have this moment, this scene, where they are in a fishing boat, uh, and then you have Jesus on the shore, and, you know, they're fishing, and they're not catching anything. And they're, you know, they're kind of discouraged. And then you have Jesus call out to them on the shore. And he's like, hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And this is such a moment for the disciples because they all realize it's Jesus. 
And, and to me, it's kind of like, uh, have you guys ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? Right? Because there's, there's this moment in that movie where um, there's two characters. There's um, Wesley and Princess Buttercup. And they're in love, and it's this, you know, cool love story. But then, Wesley disappears. And then, come back later, the, this red pirate Roberts kidnaps Princess Buttercup. And she's, the whole time, she's, like, sort of annoyed at him. And she's like, no, what are you doing? And then, she's like, or then, Wesley's like, what do you want me to do? And she's like, go away. Just, just go away. And then, he, like, jumps off a cliff. And as he's falling away, he says, as you wish. And it's, like, the moment where she realizes that, oh, that's my dear sweet, sweet Wesley. What heavens? What have I done? And then she immediately jumps off the cliff after him. Peter does that. Peter immediately puts his clothes back on, jumps out of the boat, realizing it's Jesus on the shore, and swims to shore. Because apparently the boat just wouldn't get there fast enough, I guess. And so he gets there. He's with Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, bring your fish. Um, Because they caught a whole bunch. I know the Bible gives a very specific number, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. And so they come, they cook breakfast. And after they finish breakfast, uh, over a charcoal fire, by the way, just like the one where Jesus denied Peter, um, we we begin with, with this which is John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had to say to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, a couple things to immediately pick out here. Uh, One is I had heard this taught on previously where people made a big deal out of the fact that Jesus is like, hey, do you agape me? And, and, and Peter's like, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. And like the Greek words were, um, for love were different and meant different things. And y'all, I've looked at it. Uh, I've read a few different commentaries. They're not actually all that different. So here, love means love. Uh, Peter is just using them for some, some added variety. So first thing to know. Second thing, um, is, is the symmetry between the time when Peter denied Jesus over a charcoal fire and here where Jesus is restoring Peter over a charcoal fire. Because that's, that's what this is. And Peter doesn't really realize it until the third time where it says in ESV, what I'm reading from, he says uh, he was grieved. Other translations say Peter was and you see this moment of Peter realizing, oh, that's what this is. And, and so um, it, it's this really, it's this incredible moment. And it's not just uh, Peter being restored, but he's being restored with responsibility. But before I get to the responsibility, I want to talk about, like, what this restoration means for Peter. Because he is receiving both mercy and grace. And, and so mercy is being spared from punishment that we do deserve, and grace 
is receiving blessings that we don't deserve. And here, this, this is such a picture of the gospel, right? This is uh, Peter's restoration. It is him being restored back to um, being right with Jesus. And, and in this moment, we see that uh, it, it's, it's, there's no shame in this. There's conviction, which leads to repentance, but, but there's not shame. Peter isn't sitting in this, this feeling of, of, oh no, what have I done? No, he doesn't dwell there. Instead, Jesus gives him a very specific responsibility, and one that, y'all, I also think applies to us. Uh, Jesus tells Peter to feed my sheep. Now, what, what, what does that mean? What does it mean when, when we say, feed my sheep? Well, it means Jesus is calling Peter to be a shepherd. And so, y'all, um, a while ago, I preached a sermon on, like, Psalm 23 and what the characteristics of a shepherd are and what they mean and what it looks like. And it's, it's a whole lot, but I'm going to summarize and just say a shepherd is a teacher, a shepherd is a protector, and a provider. A shepherd takes care of the sheep. He is, he is responsible for their well-being and their growth. And so, um, let's look at verse 18 and 19 as, sort of, as Jesus continues on in this with Peter. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And y'all, I'm very thankful for, for what John wrote in these parentheses here, because I think this would be, at least to me, a little bit confusing. But it, it does make sense with that context, right? Because we know Peter ends up dying as a martyr uh, for the faith. And not only that, but he was crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy of dying in the same manner as my Savior. So that, like, the cool thing here, and unfortunately I don't have time to go into it uh, today, but you really see how different uh, both Peter and all the disciples are after they encounter the risen Savior. And so, like, I think Peter's death is just one example of how, like, committed and, and for sure he was uh, about this. And the last thing that Jesus says to him uh, in the Gospels is two words, and it's follow me. And this is so key. This is, this is it, right? This is where everything comes full circle. Because this is exactly what Jesus said to Peter when he called him to be a disciple. And here again, he is saying the same thing. Follow me. And so uh, this is what Peter is called to do, and it's what we are called to do. And so what does it mean when Jesus says, follow me? It means to be a disciple. And discipleship is, is a church word. You hear it thrown around a whole lot. But what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Uh, Y'all, in our Thrive series in January, uh, Fred talked about this, and he gave this definition. He said, discipleship is the process of learning about God and life. And that's a very broad definition. Uh, and the, 
but I want to I focus in on what, like, specifically the word disciple means. It actually comes from the same uh, Latin word that discipline comes from, discupula, which is where we also get the words like pupil, and it means learner or student. It means someone who is just, uh, who, you know, like, like you got a rabbi, they're, they're teaching, and it is the student's job to be a sponge and soak in all the knowledge, everything that that rabbi is teaching. And y'all, that image of a sponge is one I'm going to come back to because I think it is, is really, uh, really cool as, as we look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Y'all, um, if you have recently gone through our membership class or you were here in January when Fred talked about discipleship, you might be familiar uh, with this picture. It is uh, what we call the Thrive Angle here at Fellowship. And it really is a great picture of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Because we have, the first thing I want to talk about is being with Jesus. And so uh, I know a lot of times it, it can be very easy to think about, you know, yeah, I'm with Jesus. Yeah, you know, how often do you hear the phrase, uh, it, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship, right? Like, I think we've all, like, if you're around church long enough, you, you tend to hear someone throw that out there. And the truth is, it's both, right? But there is truth to the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus. Like, we, he's our Lord and Savior, and, and we talk to him, and we have the Holy Spirit in us, and so that helps us be, like, in communion with our Savior, and that is just such a cool thing that we get to do, and I don't know, I kind of love that. And another thing with being with Jesus, uh, one thing that we as a church staff often talk about is being with Jesus as opposed to working for Jesus. And y'all, I got to be honest, for me, this, this can be a struggle sometimes, because I am so, like, it, it's such a, a real thing to want to view everything as like a performance. Like I, I want to be like, I want to go to Jesus and be like, yeah, I did a good job for you, right? Like you, you liked the way I did that. And, and that's not actually the picture here. Instead, it is a collaborative thing. Instead of me saying, hey, Jesus, look at all the good things I did. It's, hey, Jesus, you were with me when I did those things. So it is, a, it's a bit of an attitude uh, shift rather than being like a performative thing or a works-based thing, it, it's, it's a, a faith thing. And so the next thing I want to talk about here is um, being in God's word. And, and one way I like to think of this, because I think this is so act, really so connected to uh, doing work or, or being for others, and here's why. Um, I, I want to bring back that, that sponge analogy, right? Because when we are disciples, we are supposed to be sponges. We're supposed to be soaking up uh, who God is, who Jesus is. And y'all, like, in order to soak things up, we have to be in God's word. In order to be a shepherd, in order to do what Jesus called us to do, which is feed his sheep, like, we have to be in God's word to be filled. It is you ever try and, like, use a, a sponge without filling it with water? Like, you ever try and, like, use it for that? It doesn't actually, it's not very effective, you know? And, and so, 
you can't pour out into others if you yourself aren't filled. And I don't, please don't hear me say that as like a a shame thing, but please, it's more of a challenge to like rethink about how we think about being in God's word. And, and here's the other thing, right, with um, if all we are is, is in God's word, if we're really, really good at studying the Bible, if we have lots and lots of head knowledge, but we don't actually pour out in others, if we just keep our sponge sort of full and, and wet, what happens? I think the sponge can get a little moldy. It, it can be uh, a little, little crusty after a while when it, when it just sort of dries out instead of being wrung out. And y'all, I think like there is um, a fear of being so far in any one of these things that it sort of takes it out of balance. And now I, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying like if your triangle isn't perfectly equilateral, it's not good. No, like we're all going to be in different areas and in, in different ways when, when we look at this. But um, balance is, is good. And so, like, please just see this as, as more of a tool for, for analyzing where we are in our faith and, and how we can grow. Because, y'all, one thing I absolutely love about being here at Fellowship is this is a church where there are opportunities to be, like, in God's Word, to be filled, and opportunities to be poured out. Y'all, if you're not um, in a growth group, I would recommend, like, trying to find one. I, I think we just ended our growth groups for the, uh, for the fall, but in the spring, we're, we'll be, you know, doing them again, and I think that'll be really, really great. It's a really great opportunity to be fed, and y'all, if you're, like, if you are a shepherd, like, if you are someone who, who God has gifted in that way, like, I don't know, think about maybe leading a group or talking to maybe staff or elders and figuring out like what that, pro- or your growth group leader, you know, and see what that process looks like. Because this, um, we are a church, like our goal, our vision is to be a church of disciple-making disciples, right? And that is what this model that, that Jesus and Peter are talking about right here. It is feed my sheep. We are shepherds and also sheep. Like I feel like all along the spectrum, like, there are sheep that have shepherds, but those shepherds are also sheep to another shepherd, right? It, it's about uh, being mentored and about constantly growing. And, y'all, another thing uh, where we have opportunities to grow and, and pour out and be for others is, uh, y'all, there's a lot of opportunities uh, here at Fellowship to serve. Um, y'all, Matt leads our uh, worship and production team. And y'all, did you know Matt was, like, could sing and lead worship? Like, it, it did a great job. And if you are interested in helping and serving uh, with worship and production, I encourage you, talk to Matt. Y'all, even if you're not, like, for sure I have a gift, but his, his vision for what encountering Jesus on Sunday morning, what it looks like, is, is like, genuinely encouraging. Like, I get fired up every time I talk to Matt. So go, go talk to Matt. Um, also, if you are interested in serving uh, with kids, um, Carol does a great job leading our kids' ministry, and they do a lot of really good work pointing uh, kids to Jesus. It's, it's not just, you know, hanging out in playtime, but there's really, like, a dedicated uh, purpose to it where it is pointing 
um, our kids to Jesus. And y'all, um, I lead our student ministry, and um, in the new year, I'm looking at doing a few things a little bit different in order to uh, just disciple our students the best, as best as we can here at Fellowship. And if you are interested in learning more about that or what that means or what that looks like, uh, either as like a parent or student or, or someone who is interested in volunteering, come, please find me and talk to me. And the last thing I want to mention is, y'all, where we really extra especially need volunteers is actually in our preschool. So um, Stephanie Quigley is our preschool director, and uh, she's sitting right over there. And if you have a gifting for uh, working with specifically like one and two-year-olds, like walkers, it, I'll be honest, it's, it's not my gifting. Uh, but if it is your gifting, it is what God is, is calling you to do. If you have patience to work with littles, like talk to Stephanie. Um, it is an area where we're kind of bursting at the seams. We have a lot of new babies, a lot of littles here at Fellowship, and we need help. So... Um, that's, that's really where I want to end. And it, it, it's because this is, discipleship really is just, it's about being filled, pouring out, and being the church. One thing Fred always says is like, I love being the church with you. And, and I love that Fred says that. And it, it's a thing that I feel as well. So I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that you uh, sent your only son to die for us. And thank you that, that we get to uh, be here and, and, and come together and, and we can encounter you here on a Sunday morning. And I just want to um, pray that as, as, we, as we go and as we continue in worship that we would, uh, we would reflect on that and that we would, uh, we would just encounter you and enjoy our, our time with you, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.